now is the time to join the DC family. Secure your season ticket membership for the 2020-2021 season today for as little as $100 per seat and lock in all the exclusive benefits of DC 12 Club membership. Visit dc12club.com to learn more. That's dc12club.com. Welcome to another episode of Off the Bench presented by the Alibaba Group. Zach Rosen here with Chris Gehring and joining us is a Hall of Famer, uh, David Aldridge, who is currently working through the craziness of the offseason as we speak. Um, we're lucky we got him on here, but uh, it is very on topic, DA, because we're going to talk to you about the crazy two weeks that are ahead of us. We know the draft is Wednesday. Trades are already underway. There's reports. Free agency starts this weekend. How are you dealing with it all personally? And, and what are you expecting the next couple of weeks? Uh, anarchy, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, you know, with everything so compressed, it's, 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 I'll just, it's very difficult. Um, I think it's difficult for the teams. It's difficult for the players. It's difficult for the agents. It's difficult for the reporters. It's difficult for everybody um, to kind of really, be able to focus on one thing for more than five minutes before you have to deal with something else that's coming up. So you just do the best you can. I mean, you know, I'm just texting and calling and DMing and everything that I can think of like everyone else is doing to try and find out exactly what what's happening and what's, you know, what's most likely to happen. And, you know, people are still trying to digest you know, the rules for this off season, which starts, which started at, at noon on Monday. Um, so it's, it's amazing. Um, and, you know, you can only do the best you can um, trying to absorb everything. And every, every deal I, I hear about, I'm asking people like, is this legal? Can they do this? Or this, is this not allowed under the new rules? You know, you have to check everything. Um, before you can uh, go with anything because you want to you want to be accurate so but you know it's it's 10 times as hard for the teams so you know I'm I, I don't expect anyone to feel you know any sympathy for me because the teams have it way way worse than we do definitely something where and from a draft perspective this is probably the most overanalyzed draft class that they've ever had because they've gotten to look at these guys for so long. Yeah. But, but trying to plan for how that draft fits in your offseason plan is the strangest that it's probably ever going to be and probably the hardest balance it'll ever have to be. Um, how do you think this timing kind of works for teams? Like, obviously, we'll, we'll get to where the Wizards sit at nine and, and their offseason, but um, for each team, how do, how do they go about trying to balance what they need to do Wednesday with the conversations that they have to have right now, Monday and Tuesday, um, before it's live and, and they have to start making these decisions that are going to impact next season. Well, I think, you know, if you're a team that, that wants to make a big deal, you know, either using your cap room, if you have it, or, you know, you're OKC and you're just in a rebuild mode and you have to get rid of people, I think you're going to try to make as many of these deals between before the draft as you can. Um, to me, it makes a lot more sense. You want to have a lot more sense of what your roster needs are after the deals are made rather than before you consummate these deals because people can change their minds and things fall apart. You know, 98% of trades never get to the finish line. So 
um, I would think you will see a lot of a lot more deals between now and and the draft on Wednesday, um, uh, either announced or agreed to, as we say in the parlance, because some of them may involve the draft picks. But um, yeah, I think you'll see a lot of trades first um, because there's not going to be that many teams that have cap room in the first place. So there's not going to be, I don't think a ton of free agent movement. There'll be some, but I don't think there'll be a ton um, because most teams are keeping their powder draft for 21. So, you know, the moves that you're going to make are going to be trades and you want to know going into Wednesday, okay, we didn't get the center we needed, or we didn't get the power forward we needed. We need to draft one, or we got that build. Now we can just go best player available or whatever it is, whatever your philosophy is. I wanted to just touch on like how we got here. I mean, we're talking about right now, this is insane. Everything that's about to happen, but the, the, you know, the previous seven months during this pandemic that the NBA has gone through, I know you wrote something, you know, recently about what we've learned from the bubble, what we've not only taken from that, but then the social uh, justice action that's been taking yeah. place. And how do you really encapsulate everything that's taken place from a historical perspective as, you know, one of basketball's uh, living legends of history? Well, we've never had anything like this before. I mean, there's just never been a season that's comparable in any way to, you almost have to view these two seasons as a kind of, as a kind of joint season because, you know, just ended like a month ago, less than a month ago. And now we're going into the next season already, you know, and the next season's going to begin in a month. So um, it's almost like a field entry in, in, uh, in horse racing, um, it's, there's no precedent, you know, there's no precedent for a season stopping in the middle. There's, there's been lots of seasons that have started late because of lockouts and work stoppages and things like that. We've never had a season that stopped in the middle, not the, not the middle, but in, in progress, right? And then lasted, you're off for four months and then you finish the season there's just nothing, there's nothing to compare that to. Um, and certainly not because of a global pandemic, you know, it's just nothing. I wasn't here in 1918. I don't know what they did, but there weren't any leagues anyway. You know what I mean? So it doesn't, our, there's no, there's no uh, reference point here. So this is unprecedented, you know, and um, the league's response was unprecedented to, to come up with a bubble and to pull it off essentially uh, was unprecedented. Um, took an amazing amount of, of people power and, and money and, you know, buy-in that I'm not sure you're gonna be able to replicate going forward. I think everybody understood, this is what we have to do to finish this season. Um, but I don't know if you're gonna get everybody to kind of buy in for 72 games worth of this next year, followed by playoffs. So, um, you know, the, the bubble is going to be its own thing, I think, as we look back on it, um, because I'd be very surprised if you could get the players to kind of all say, okay, we'll do this because if we don't do this, you know, we're going to lose a lot of money. Um, that was for three months, which was hard enough to pull off. Now you're to ask people to do it for, you know, even three months again, I think would be hard to do for six months would be impossible. What do you, what do you think about just the, the, going over what the wizards need to do in this off season? Obviously Davis Bertans has been, the very public priority number one that will have they have the ninth pick in this draft and 37 but how how do you think that they need to be prioritizing this offseason 
where do you think, um, obviously the, the return of John Wall, it obviously is the, it's the, it's the cornerstone of the plan, but how do you think it all comes together in this kind of wonky off season um, where it's going to be difficult to get everybody under one roof again for a long, normal training camp? Yeah, it's going to be hard. I mean, cause they have a lot of needs. Um, you know, I think, I mean, to me, if you look at, you know, so Phoenix goes and gets Chris Paul who's 35 years old and, you know, he's got a kind of limited shelf life, but you have to show Devin Booker that, that you're trying to win now and that you're not waiting. I think the wizards need to probably do something similar. You know, um, if you guys recall, Paul Pierce coming in, in 2014 really had a real big effect on this franchise and he was only here for one year, you know, um, but somebody of that caliber who could still play a little bit, you know, it really does help. And so, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure the next question will be, well, who would that be? And I don't have anybody particular in mind, but I think bringing in a real veteran who's been in some playoff wars, who has some pedigree, I think is the, is the best way for this team to go going forward. Um, whether that's a center, more likely it'll be a three, I think, considering, um, you know, where they are right now in terms of their ability to go get people. Um, I don't know that there's a center out there who kind of can play the way centers are asked to play for play today. That's available, you know, like you could, could they trade for Steven Adams? I, you know, I guess they could, but first of all, it costs a lot of money. He's a free agent after this year. You don't have any assurance he's going to stay unless you have assurances he's going to stay. Um, you have to give up a lot just to make the numbers work, right? So, um, so, so again, I don't think center is necessarily the, the the position, but I think a three who really can play, who really has some a track record of of playoff, you know, success and, and ability and things like that. You know, if Rudy Gay were like two years younger, someone like that, you know what I mean? Like someone who's played well and, and played well at a high level, um, I think would be my top priority if I were them, because you need to show Bradley Beal that you're serious about winning now, you know, his windows now, John Wall's windows now, and you have to try to do everything that you can to kind of get through that, that window or try to keep that window open as long as possible. Speaking of those two, I mean, it's been two years since John's played, um, yeah. which makes it two years since they've played together. And Brad's just a completely different player. I mean, he's really grown up off the court too. You know, he has kids mm -hmm. now. He's just become almost his own person. It's not just John and Brad or just John. There's a Brad to it too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you foresee, you know, that playing out this year? And, you know, as someone who's, who is stationed here and, you know, gets to watch it. Hopefully, are you excited to see them back together from an objective standpoint? And, and what are you really expecting? Yeah, no, I mean, I think anybody who likes basketball wants to see John <laughs> Wall on the court healthy again, right? I mean, he's a dynamic player when he's, when he's right. He's a very, you know, talented, floor-shaping all-star player, you know, and you want players like that to be on the court um, at their best. So that's, you know, I just hope for John's sake that he's able to kind of get through this season healthy. I mean, it's, this is a big lift for him. I mean, this is, 
you're asking a lot for a guy coming off an Achilles injury who hasn't played in two years. That's a lot to ask. So I'm sure that they're going to be very careful with his minutes. I'm sure that, that he will have load management. He will not play in many back-to-backs, I would think, during the season. Because um, you just have to be smart. And I hope John understands, to your point, that Brad is a different guy than the last time he saw him play, last time he played with him. And John's a smart guy. He's a student of the game. I'm sure he sees that. And, and if he's smart, he'll realize that Brad can help him extend his career. You know, Brad can take on some of that ball handling, playmaking responsibility that was almost exclusively John's before the injuries. And John, you know, can now, I don't think he's ever going to be like a classic spot up three-point shooter. I don't think you want him to be that guy, right? But what you want him to be is that second ball handler maybe coming off of a pin down you know, after Brad has made the initial kind of sortie into the defense and drawn an additional defender. Now he throws the ball to John, who's coming downhill with maybe one guy to beat to get to the rim. And John either finishes or he finds the guy in the short corner, which he's been able to do his whole career. Um, So those are ways that Brad's presence is going to help John. And everyone's unsure. There'll be times when John spots up and shoots. But again, I don't think that's what you want John Wall to spend most of his time doing you know, as he can, as he comes back, it's just kind of like drifting to the corner, you know what I mean? <laughs> or an Iverson cut to the wing. You don't want that. I mean, nobody wants, to, I don't think anybody wants to see that. Right. So that's not the best use of his skill set. but you can make it easier for him to utilize his skill set where he's not going up against a wall of defenders. Maybe he's weak side with just one guy to beat. And now he's got real options, you know? So to me, if he, buys into that and understands that how that's how Brad can help him. I think it could work. Um, but everybody's going to have to be patient. Cause I just don't think from a minute standpoint, he's going to be able to go 35, 36 minutes immediately, even if at all this year, I think you got to be smart with it. Yeah. Well, one thing about the bubble that I thought was interesting is that we knew without John and Brad there at all, that you would get to see guys, obviously the young guys, take on outsized roles that they will all but certainly not have when playing with John and Brad um, and Davis, hopefully if he is, if he does return to this team, what, what was the most promising thing that you saw from that group? Bonga, um, Hachimura, Troy Brown, um, that can complement the, the direction that the wizards are obviously going. And obviously the, the, the usage that John and Brad will, will take up when they're, when they're back. Um, yeah. in this next full season. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I make no secret of my, my love for Isak. I think he's got a chance to be a really good player in the league. I just think he's, he's a natural three and D guy. I mean, just screams three and D. Um, and I know the three parts not quite there yet, but that's okay. He's young. He's 21 years old. You know, give him some time. Um, but he's, you could see he can do things to help you win basketball games. I like guys that help me win games. Like, you know, all the other stuff is that, what are, you know, what are, are you getting deflections? Are you taking charges? Those are the things that help you in basketball games. You boxing out so that a teammate gets the rebound, even if you don't. Um, and Isak does a lot of those things. Um, and I just think he's, he continues to be intriguing to me. And so, you know, I liked what I saw from him. I like, you know, Troy's not going to be on the ball as much, obviously, as he was in Orlando. 
I like the idea of him. I would like to see him and Brad and John play together just to see if it's different or better than it was before. I just like to see them. I like to see them experiment with that a little bit because you think about, again, I think Troy showed real improvement in terms of attacking defenses and knowing how, wh where to go with the ball after the initial uh, entry. Um, I like that. And so I want to see if he can do that with Brad and John. He may not be able to do it. I don't know, but I want to see it. Uh, I thought Thomas played well. Thomas Bryant did some good things down there. Um, he looks very comfortable shooting, you know, now. He's going to have to do some of that. Uh, the defensive numbers were better. Um, I'm still not sold on <laughs> defensively as a defensive anchor. Um, but they were better. And so you, if you're, you know, you, you have to be encouraged by that, at least a little bit, if you're a Wizards fan, um, that, that he was, that he showed signs of growth and improvement. So those would be the main areas where I was, I thought, you know, they, there were some guys that did some good things, even though they, you know, didn't win, <laughs> they won one game. Um, it wasn't all bad. Um, and you have to take into consideration that there's, you know, three, maybe four best players weren't there. So you have to, have to weigh that as well. Last one for me is just pretty general. Like, what are you most excited about for this coming season? And and it's coming up really quickly. We almost don't even know what every team's going to look like. A lot's yeah. going to change even between the time we post this um, tomorrow on Tuesday. But what are, just generally, what are you looking forward to watching? Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, the West is loaded. Um, clearly, Phoenix was already kind of on the uptick after their performance in Orlando. And now with, with CP3, they're going to be fascinating to watch. Um, I think they could take a big step. Um, I don't know if they're, you know, I don't think they become a top four team in the West immediately. I'm not saying that, but they certainly, they certainly could do exactly what OKC did with CP3 last year, which is get in the playoffs and be a really tough first round out for whoever plays them. Um, so they'll be fun to watch. I mean, we, we all want to see what Minnesota does. I mean, I'm glad everybody now now sees what what we were saying last week on my podcast with John Krasinski, who covers the Wolves for, for the Athletic. And he was like, eh, I don't think they're taking Lonzo Ball. <laughs> and, they, and everybody was like, you're taking Lonzo Ball. And now everybody's saying, oh, maybe they're not taking Lonzo Ball. Yeah, they're not. You know, um, they're, it, they'll probably trade the pick if they if they – talk themselves out of Anthony Edwards. I do think that's the guy that they would take um, if, if, he, if they keep the pick. Um, and then it becomes, you know, the draft will be its own intriguing self because there's good players in this draft. It's just that there aren't those consensus great players at the top. It's just like a normal draft, except you're starting at like six, you know? <laughs> Instead, like in a normal year, you have three or four guys that you think, wow, these are going to be superstars. You don't have that this year. Somebody will become a superstar because somebody always does in a draft, but you don't have those three or four guys that you just automatically kind of pencil in. Um, and then it'll be, you know, to your point, who may, what trades get made? Where does Steven Adams go, for example? It seems obvious to me that he's going somewhere. Now that you've traded Chris Paul, you're kind of all in on the rebuild, which is fine. They should do that if they're OKC. Um, but where does he go? Does he wind up in Boston, for example? That seems to make a lot of sense to me that, that, he would be a perfect fit for what Boston does. I think he'd be a great addition to them. You know, um, you know, where, you know, does Miami wind up with Gallinari? Like everybody seems to think will ultimately happen, uh, whether it's a sign and trade or free agency um, that, that obviously makes Miami a very 
difficult team. So in the East, and, and then of course you want to see Brooklyn. I want you know, everybody wants to see how how that winds up. And do they? I mean, do they go get Harden? I, I'm not sure. I mean, I to me, I think you kind of you actually, I think, defeat the purpose of having Kyrie and and KD together if you add Harden to that mix. Like somebody is going to be thirsty in that setup. You know what I mean? Like somebody's not going to touch the ball enough <laughs> to their liking. And they can talk all they want about how we're going to make it work and all that sort of thing. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> you know, Clay Thompson is different. Like people don't understand about Clay Thompson. Like he's a great, great shooter and scorer, but he's not thirsty about touching the ball. He can, he's okay if Steph takes. 35 shots a game and he takes 12. He doesn't trip off of stuff like that. This they aren't him. <laughs> These three guys, they're not him. <laughs> they all need to touch the ball or they start squawking a little bit. So I'm not sure about the Harden thing. Now we'll see. Maybe he winds up there, maybe and they become, you know, a juggernaut, but to me it almost kind of defeats the purpose of having those two guys together cuz two can share the ball. Three gets hard, but I'd be fascinated either way to see what Brooklyn does. I would, I mean, hypothetical, of course. Um, just, I don't know if there's ever been three players of that, you know, stature. I know a lot of injuries and such, but of that stature on the same team, I mean, yeah. I can't really think of it ever. Yeah, that's, maybe that, maybe the early Lakers, the Celtics, and those Hall of Fame teams, right. but not like in the modern times. I think if you're if you're in Brooklyn and they're pretty smart, you know, Sean Mark's a pretty good GM and you know you've got a rookie head coach who's never coached before in Steve Nash. I think you're you would be putting an awful lot on his plate. You know, that would be asking an awful lot out of him <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> you know, yeah. that would be a lot to ask Phil Jackson to deal with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> So I'm just not sure that if I'm if I'm them, that that's the best utilization of Steve Nash's skill sets as a communicator and as a teacher and as a, you know, all of those things. Um, but again, hey, there, you know, it's not show friends, it's show business. I understand that. So um, if you get a chance to add James Harden, you do that. I get it. I understand that. But I just think from a continuity chemistry standpoint, that would be an awful lot to ask Steve Nash to try to coach every night. For sure. Well, we know it's going to be an unpredictable couple of weeks and uh, we thank you for taking a few minutes out of your time to, to come talk to us, DA. Sure. My pleasure. You didn't ask me what the wizards to take it. <laughs> All right. Who's your prediction? As yeah, one last, one last question. <laughs> your, your favorite guys around nine. We, we, we see so many names, so it's difficult, but we, the names around nine that you like in your, in your uh, college. Well, look, yeah, I, obviously if a Kongwu is there, I would take him and wouldn't think twice about it. Wouldn't think twice about it. Happily would take him. I would happily take a coral at nine. Happily. I would probably take Vassal at nine. I think he's really good. Um, you know, the, I, the beauty is in the eye in the, of the beholder when you get to guys like Patrick Williams and people like that, some people really think he's got a high upside and he's 21 and, you know, so I wouldn't be like mad if they took him, but those three guys that I mentioned, I don't think Halliburton will be there. 
he would obviously be in the mix if he were there, but I think he goes well before then. Um, those three guys to me, if they got any one of those three guys, I think it's a good draft for the Wizards. Um, they all would fit. I think they're all natural fits for positionally. I think they're all fits temperamentally. Like none of those guys are give me the ball kind of guys, right? right. Um, they all fit defensively, most importantly. <laughs> like you can plug them into the position and they will make the team better defensively as soon as they're on the court. Um, especially Okoro, who I just, I really like Okoro a lot. I just think he's, he's everything you want from a leadership, maturity, positionally, um, room to grow, can play off the ball. The shot's not broken. It's not great, but it's not broken. You know what I mean? So, um, and if you do re-sign Bertans, you, you know, Bertans tilts the floor, you know, whenever he's on it. So you can play in a Coro who's going to cut, who's going to go baseline, who's going to be, make himself available on the weak side. Someone like that is going to score a lot with a, with a shooter like Bertans on the floor and a shooter like Beal on the floor. So you guys like that can play off the ball, you know, and you want those, those guys. So to me, it's those three, any one of those three would be fine. Well, next time we have a podcast later this week, it will be with whoever the Wizards take uh, in the first round, whether it be at nine or wherever it is. But until then, uh, for Zach Rosen, David Aldridge, Chris Gehring, thanks for listening to us.